Welcome, and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. The last time I taught, we were all online uh, because of the snow and ice of mid-February. And if you remember, if you were with us, I taught a little bit on uh, the idea of sanctification, this idea of becoming more like Christ, of maturing in our faith, of growing up. And I thought for a second, I would just kind of report back on a little sanctification that's been happening in my heart, if I can. Uh, And it centered around a ski trip that I was at last week with my son. Uh, We went skiing uh, for three days in Colorado. And if you don't know this about me, I'm a tad bit competitive. Uh, And most would say a little stronger than tad bit competitive. But the point is, uh, if it can be won, I want to win it. And if you can do it, Uh, more often than not, I want to be able to do it better than you. And uh, can we all agree that skiing is a humbling sport, right? Uh, As I went skiing, right, it's not long before you see a five-year-old tearing down the mountain with no poles, uh, blowing through some a double black diamond through moguls, and that doesn't do good things for my heart because I start to go, if he can do it, if she can do it, then I'm going to find that same slope and I'm going to ski it faster and I'm going to ski it better and crisper than that five-year-old kid could do it. I don't know what that's going to prove to anyone except something in here. And uh, as we were riding up that ski lift, um, common sense kind of kicked in, maybe spirit of God, sometimes it's hard to separate it, but Something kicked in that was like, hey, Jeff, remember one of the goals for this week skiing is that you don't blow out your ACLs. So uh, the sanctifying work is uh, my ACLs are intact. Wisdom uh, kind of overtook competitiveness and I stuck to the greens and the blues and I'm safe, right? So the Lord's working on me and my competitiveness. Uh, But really the goal for the ski trip was I got 77 hours of uninterrupted time with my son. And it was an incredible chance for me to just all 77 hours just reveal my heart for him and how much I love him. Every little thing we did, whether it was significant or whether it was small, was, was designed just, I want him to know I love him, I'm for him. And, uh, and I wanted to just push him further into a deeper relationship with Christ. And so we skied. We watched NCAA tournament basketball, we ate steak, you know, we encouraged one another, we laughed, we were silent, and I had 77 hours with my son, and it was so sweet. And look, for the dads and moms in the room, this doesn't mean you always have to run off to Colorado in order to have significant moments with our kids, but I do hope it is a reminder and a challenge for us that let's create memorable moments, defining moments for our kids where we get to, um, in unique ways, offer up our hearts for them, that they can get a glimpse into all the ways that we love and care for them. Um, I, it's something that hopefully I do year-round, but sometimes it helps to put the Colorado Rockies around it, right? Put a little skiing around it, uh, maybe even a steak dinner in it, and maybe it pops a little bit more. I share that for a couple of reasons, but mainly so that uh, to kind of prepare our hearts as to what's happening with Passion Week, Easter Week. It's a unique week in the life of a Christian as Christ is uniquely going to give us a glimpse into his heart. He had been giving glimpses 
into his heart his entire time that he had been on earth, even significant ways the last three years of his, of his life, which was his public ministry. He had been revealing his heart over and over again to the people, all people. And that there's something that happened about 2,000 years ago during this week where Christ was going to, in a unique way, offer a glimpse into his heart. And in a way that a lot of times Christ in his public ministry would kind of dance around the crowds at times. He would withdraw at certain moments. Something happened this week where he almost embraced the fanfare, so to speak. See, in Jerusalem, about uh, Easter week or Passover week, as it would have been for them, normally in, in Jerusalem, there would have, say, be about a quarter of a million people. But during Passover week, there were three million people there. And this week, 2,000 years ago, as Christ entered into Jerusalem, in what would normally be maybe a ruler or two or a judicial authority or two in Jerusalem, well, there were rulers from all over the Middle East that had moved as if to go, hey, I want the world to see a glimpse into my heart for all people. And Jesus is going to uniquely reveal that in a way that he had been doing and then also in a way that was going to stick out for all of human history. And so uh, as, we, as, as Kyle encouraged you uh, in, with the City Bridge News, this week I want us to follow along with Jesus every step of the way of, of Easter week, of Passion Week, so that we can just along the way get glimpses into his heart. Next week, Kyle's going to talk about the different glimpses of glory that we get. But this week, as you track with him, I would encourage you, what, as you just move through the moments, just go, what does this moment, what does this scene reveal to us about the Savior's heart for you and for me? I think that would be a great way for us to dwell richly with the Lord this week. And in order to kind of model that and help that, I want us to kind of look at four scenes today that, that kicked off Easter, that kicked off Passion Week. We're going to look at the triumphant entry. We're going to look at Jesus cleansing the temple, cursing the fig tree, and weeping over Jerusalem. And in that, I think we're going to see four things, just four glimpses into Jesus's heart for us. That it's a heart for peace, that it's a heart for purity, it's a heart for a, a life of purpose for us, and in all of it, it's going to be heart for all people that Jesus has and so we're going to spend most of our time in Matthew today uh, as we kind of press pause on, on Ephesians. We'll, Derek will pick up uh, in Ephesians 3 the week after Easter. But just to remind you where we've been in Ephesians, I think it's really important because there were 3 million people in Jerusalem that missed what was happening. And I think if we're not careful, we too can kind of miss what Jesus is up to as well. And all of a sudden, it can be next week, and we're celebrating the risen Lord and the empty tomb. And I think if we're not careful, we can miss the heart of what is happening. And we can miss what Jesus was really up to. Because they misunderstood why Jesus was entering into town. The, the, the Jewish peoples, as Jesus entered into Jerusalem, they were hoping for a nationalistic conqueror, a, a, a ruler, someone that would kind of get rid of Roman oppression. And they missed what what Christ was really doing was what we've been reading about in Ephesians 2, that the problem was not Rome in Israel. The problem was that man was following the course of this world and indulging in various lusts and pleasures. And because of that, death was entering in. Sin was the real enemy. And the people were missing it. But God, being rich in mercy, was about to enter into Jerusalem and pay the death that you and I deserved. 
so that by the blood of the lamb we could be washed clean and this is what it was. And, 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 and we who were formerly far off, it would, uh, that Derek talked last week in Ephesians 2, 13 and 14, we've been brought near by this blood for he himself is our peace. Jesus is revealing a heart of peace as he enters into Jerusalem. And so pick up with me in Matthew 21, verse 1, as the Prince of Peace enters the city of peace that is Jerusalem. And it says, when they had approached Jerusalem, verse 1, and had come to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, this is Jesus and the disciples, then Jesus sent two disciples saying them, go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet some 550 years ago through Zechariah. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Their king was coming and they were hoping the king would mean something entirely different. They thought he was they was hoping that he would be a conquering ruler, one that would conquer Rome. This prince of peace coming into the city of peace, but what they even missed was what he rode in on. Conquering rulers, ones that were there to displace the government that was in place, they rode in on war horses. All throughout your Old Testament time, if you saw a time when a, a, a ruler was coming in to cause havoc and to uproot the government that was in place, they came in on a magnificent horse, on a, on a war horse, signifying, I am here to conquer, not have peace. And yet in Old Testament times, we consistently see that when kings rode in on donkeys, it was a sign that they were there to establish peace in the land and to be an offer of peace in the land. You see this most notably in the lives of King David and his son Solomon. If you read 2 Solomon 16 through 19, uh, this was after um, Absalom had kind of tried to overthrow King David. King David was the rightful ruler of Israel, and yet his son had kind of produced a coup in a following. And when Absalom died, the people that were with Absalom kind of assumed this is not good for us. And as David was riding back into Jerusalem, they assumed it was bad news for them. And yet David was tired of the bloodshed. He was there to establish peace. And so as a sign that he's not there to get rid of anybody that was against him, he comes riding in on a donkey because he was establishing and offering peace to all the people. The same thing happens just a few years later. Same set of circumstances as, as there's a transition of power from David to Solomon. There's a man named Adonijah that rises up and he declares himself king and there's a, there's a rebellion that ultimately gets thwarted. And those that had followed Adonijah are worried that Solomon is gonna come and want to conquer the rest of them that had supported Adonijah. And in 1 Kings 1, Solomon rides into Jerusalem on a donkey because his government was gonna be one of peace and it was gonna be an offer of peace to those that had been living against what the king desired. And so Christ, in everything that is happening, is revealing his heart of peace, the prince of peace coming into the city of peace on an animal of peace to a people sorely in need of peace. It says in verse six that the disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them. Jesus had said there'll be a donkey over here, and there was. Jesus had said this is the conversation that you'll have. 
And that was the conversation that was had. And they brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats on the road. And then it says in verse 9, the crowds were going ahead of them. They were still confused of what Jesus was doing. And those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna is this Hebrew word that transliterated Hosea which means, oh, save us now. Still in this mindset of deliver us from Rome is kind of the mindset here. And these same people, Jesus knew these same people that were crying out, oh, save us now, deliver us be the same people just a few days later that would be saying, crucify him, crucify him. And here in this moment, we see Jesus has perfect knowledge. He has perfect knowledge of, of how there would be a donkey waiting for him in a village over here. And we know that full well that he knew that the same people that were cheering his arrival would be the same part people that would be cheering basically for his departure. And this perfect knowledge that Jesus has, can it sometimes uh, almost make us uncomfortable? It's, it's this sense of like, wait, Jesus knows like everything, everything? Like literally that thing I did way back when in that moment, like is that, he knows everything, everything? And for me, I don't know about you, it used to be that uncomfortable truth where I was like, oh my gosh, he knows everything, everything. And today I stand before you taking it as one of the great comforting truths is that he knows everything, everything. And he still came riding into Jerusalem, offering peace to me. It's a picture that he still came to die for me and he's not disappointed with what he got with me. And he's not disappointed in what he has with you. He knows all my past embarrassments. He knows all my present struggles. He knows all my future potholes. And so he does with you too. He has perfect knowledge of everything, everything. And he still came riding into town with an offer of peace for you and me. Our great enemy was not Rome. The great enemy of the Jewish people was not Rome. The great enemy of the Jewish people was sin. It was wreaking havoc. But God, being rich in mercy, came to rescue us. And so what's that thing that you just go, man, if he only knew that kind of lingers deep in your heart of going, does he know, does he know? I just, I, you can't hide it from him and don't hide it from him. He knows it and he still came and his offer of peace still exists to you today because look, remember Christ came in peace. He came in a donkey the first time. There will be a time that he will come riding in on a war horse, amen? But today, the offer still stands of peace and it's his heart for his people. It's his heart for his people that we would recognize one more time. The Prince of Peace was coming to the city of peace on an animal of peace so that he could speak peace to the nations by going to the cross that would allow for peace between man and God. His heart for peace is on full display with his triumphal entry. Scene two. Jesus enters the temple, verse 12 and when he does so, he drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. The second scene is going to reveal to us that Jesus does have a heart for purity. 
We know that in these days that uh, parts of the temple were being profaned in significant ways. And uh, Derek showed that picture last week of the temple and what it looks like most. uh, And as he talked about last week, kind of around the temple was the court of the Gentiles. And this was kind of an area where the Gentiles could could get as close as Jehovah as possible, kind of in, in a place where they could pray and be silent before Jehovah. And yet in this moment, others, the religious elite had turned it into a place for negotiation and transactions and money making and a chance to show unequal favor to varying people that were showing up. And by doing so, they were profaning the temple in a way that was making it an impure representation of who God was. Jesus was going to go there. I think it's instructive to note that when Jesus shows up in town, the first place he doesn't go is to city hall or to the Senate and overthrow the government that's in there or even try to clean up the corruption there. He doesn't go even to the seedy underbelly areas of Jerusalem. He goes first and foremost to his people because it's first and foremost us, his people, that need to be cleansed. There's a lot in us, I think, that there's, that there's moments where we go, I love this image of Jesus flipping tables. That's what I'm talking about. That's what needs to happen in America. We need to start flipping some more tables here. But as Jesus moves towards the temple, I think it's an instructive moment for us to go, hey, today, God doesn't live in a building made with human hands. That's not the temple. We know today the temple is right here. And so just... Be mindful that the temple that Christ wants to come first and foremost to clean up is in here with you and me. He desires purity here with us. Because don't we have a way of partitioning off our heart? Just like you saw pictures of the temple in all of its different partitions, you too, you and me have a way of kind of carving out little parts of our heart. I know I can be so guilty of going, Lord, I'm going to offer up my life to you. But do you mind if I keep a few hours just for myself? A little comfort right here, a little comfort slice, right? Anyone else do that? Just kind of go, these hours are off limit. I'll be, I might be faithful here and here and here, but this moment I want a little bit of me time or stewardship. There's a lot of moments where I can kind of go, hey, I, I gave a little bit over here, but the rest is mine, or, or this sliver, I'm going to spend how I want to sliver. And we create these little partitions in our heart. And before long, we're profaning a, the temple, so to speak, and doing so in a way that is producing an impure representation of what God intends for us to be. And so God, first and foremost, wants his people to be purified. And so Christ still comes today with the daily offer of you, me. We need to make this a living sacrifice. It says in Psalm 86, 11, to teach me your way, Lord. And this is in the NIV, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart, no partitions, that I may fear your name. NLT says it, give me purity of heart. And watch what happens when we do that, when we kind of break down some of the walls that we build up. It says this in verse 14 of Matthew 21, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Once the things that were in the way of what the Lord wanted to do, healing begins to take place. That which was sick from sin is now 
allows for healing to take place. That which was out of step gets set right. And this healing that comes in because Jesus desires purity in our heart. Jeremiah 17 says, the heart is more deceitful than all else. And so this idea of purity is a daily thing that the Lord wants to keep working on us. And it starts here. You want to fix out there, you work on here in our hearts. Because Jesus desires purity for each one of us. Watch what happens after healing begins to take place. It says, but in verse 15, but when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, they became indignant. The Jewish chief priests, the Jewish scribes, they became indignant at what was happening. Which begins to lead us into scene three. The Jewish people had kind of misunderstood their purpose in the world. There's going to be a couple verses here in scene three that are symbolic of what would happen to them. Now, in the morning, it says in verse 18, when he was returning to the city, Jesus became hungry. So much I could even unpack just right there. But seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only. And he said to it, no longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. These two verses have great symbolism. They have great implications for the nation of Israel. They uh, were called to be um, a city on a hill, in essence. When uh, they were made a nation, God made a covenant with Abraham that said, I am going to bless you and your family. In Genesis 12, this happened so that you would be a blessing to all the other families. You would be a blessing to all the other nations in the world. This was the fruit that the Israelites were supposed to bear. They were supposed to be this light. Isaiah said in, in Isaiah 60, it's going to sound similar to the Matthew 5, 16 verse Amy shared earlier, but it just says, let your light shine and the nations will come to you. That was the fruit that Israel was supposed to bear. And yet, in these two verses, we're going to see some things begin to change. You see, Israel misunderstood. They thought there was something special about them and that, that they had earned it or done something and, that they, and they, did, they tried to keep it in here. But just what we have been talking about in Ephesians 2, it's by grace you've been saved. It was by God's grace Israel was chosen. And they were called then to walk in the works that God had prepared ahead of them. They were to walk in those that he had prepared beforehand. And they weren't doing that. And so God was going to now begin to change how he reached the world. And we know that part of even the mystery of what Amy alluded to in her testimony was that the Gentiles were going to be let in. And that we were going to be the ones that were called to, to be a city on a hill and to be salt and light. And so we can read these two verses and go, yeah, they blew it. But these two verses have great symbolism and implications for both you and me. It has great symbolism and implications for the visible church today. It even has great implications for City Bridge Community Church and each one of us here that we are called to live on purpose. We are called to bear fruit. It says in Psalm 1, Right, I remember it was, my, it was the great prayer of my life after I had confessed to basically not living on purpose. I had the leaves of religion for most of my life. I did some of these things. I showed up in church, show up in small groups. I would do some Bible studies, kind of these leaves of religion. But for 36 years of my life, there was no fruit of repentance in it. 
And because of that, my relationship suffered. And I remember the great prayer after I confessed back in 2015 was, Lord, will you make me a Psalm 1 tree? Will you plant me next to you? Will I be planted by streams of water? I don't want my leaves to wither. I still want to do the things that you call me to do, but I want there to be an inward change, not just an external righteousness that looks good on the outside, but I want there to be internal fruit that begins to grow the fruit of your spirit in me. That I would be a fully devoted follower of Christ, that I would walk deeply with you. David, King David, after his sin, talked about the same thing. Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation in Psalm 51, so that there's a purpose, so that I might teach transgressors your ways and they may be converted to you. Some of the fruit that we're supposed to bear is if we've been rescued, we are called to be that salt and light agents of rescue for other people that the Lord uses. There's a purpose to what he wants in our life. Many of us love to make a great show of religion or external righteousness. Come here and act like at times we have it all together and put on the right face. But what fruit is there in our lives? If I can turn it for a moment, we can show up here and all looks well at home, but how are you actually doing at home? The leaves of religion may be there, but are the fruit of a, of a marriage that is flourishing there? Are you serving your wife, husbands in a way that honors the Lord? Are you fighting for your marriage in a way that is bearing fruit? Parents, are you modeling for your kids what a transformed life looks like in Christ? Are you doing things or are you offering up your heart to be used by him? You see, many people want to change the world around them, but few people want to change their heart within. It is easy. It is easy for us to decry, to, to, to call out a thousand sins in other people. It's harder for us to deal with even one sin right in here. And so we live on purpose. We live authentically. We share and confess our sins to one another. We walk deeply in fellowship with one another. When we see chaos, we don't condemn it. We don't... Uh, we don't just scream at it from afar, we move towards it and we engage. So when we see struggles somewhere else, we go running. It's part of the fruit that we are called to bear. And if the things that are not happening at home that we want them to home, we work on it and there's nothing wrong with that. I do it all the time, we do it all the time and we have ministries here that are designed to help. And so if the marriage isn't where you want it to be, it's okay. We've all been in different places and we're all kind of still moving. There's still potholes and current struggles that we're all dealing with. And I just want you to know, re-engage is here on Monday nights, here to help come alongside you, help you bear fruit in your marriage, both husband and wife. For We've got region and other ministries that are designed to engage with you and help you grow into a fully devoted follower of Christ. And you don't even know what that means. That's okay. We want to engage with you and help with you to understand what that purpose looks like. I think two questions that are always helpful to ask people in your life, whether it's your community group or a friend or a spouse or a coworker, is what fruit do you see me bearing that is encouraging you? And then one question that 
my friend Rob asked our staff recently was, uh, what's, thing, what's one thing that the Lord, that you would like the Lord to change here? Not circumstances, but here in the next year. That's a great question for you to even ask others is going, hey, what fruit do I need to be bearing that I'm not currently bearing so that I can live more on purpose? God has a heart, Jesus has a heart for peace for us, for purity, and he wants us to live on purpose. And yet he knows in many ways that we're gonna fail. The next couple chapters of Matthew, he significantly calls out the religious elite. And at different moments as you track along with us this week, you're gonna see these moments of going, what's Jesus' heart? Does he have a heart for all people? What? It sure looks like he's being especially hard on the Pharisees. Turn with me to Luke 19, 41 through 44 real quick. There's a similar passage in Matthew 23, but highlighting it here, I think Jesus is going to show you his heart for people. It says, when he approached Jerusalem, verse 41, in Luke 19, he saw the city and he wept over it. A lot of us are familiar with the shortest verse in your Bible and, and John around the death of Lazarus, it says Jesus wept. This is a different word here. The word in Laz- in, 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 around Lazarus, that one, that wept is a, more of a silent, more of a frustration at the consequences of sin, more an inaudible one. The word here is clio, which means it's an audible expression of sorrow. It's as if Jesus broke out crying right here, saying, if you had known in this day, friends, people, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when the sin is going to run its course. Your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side and they will level you to the ground and your children within you and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. You did not see the peace that was being offered. He knows everything, everything, friend. And he came running for you. There's tears. It's comforting tears for the sinner. To the wandering saint, these are comforting tears, reminding us to come back home. Even for the hard-hearted, religious performer, these are comforting tears designed to soften our hearts towards what he was up to. He was coming so that we wouldn't have to perform. He was coming so that we wouldn't have to partition off our heart and hide sin from him. He was coming so that even if we had messed up again and again and again, that those sins would be paid for. He was coming to rescue us. And he was coming to rescue every single one because he has a heart for all people. It's the gospel. He was coming to die the death that you and I deserve so that we could experience a life unlike any other. And in how he loves people, I just think it's instructive too that I don't want us to miss, and especially to my fellow Christians, the more you and I understand the compassion of Christ, the more that we understand these comforting tears that he is expressing his heartfelt emotion for the desire for Jerusalem's repentance and for your and mine repentance today, the more I think we will have comforting tears and compassion towards others. We don't need to 
we don't need to condemn sinners. Sinners are condemned without our help. What they need are people that have mercy and compassion are willing to come running towards them and invite them into a deep abiding relationship with Jesus. That's what they're in need of. So Jesus glimpses into his heart. Don't miss it this week. I can't wait to celebrate the empty tomb with you a week from now, but let's not miss his heart every step of the way. Little glimpses, big glimpses into what he was accomplishing for us, how much he loved us. Hebrews 12.2 says, look to Jesus. That's what we are to do this week. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, and the context of that verse is we're the joy, who for us, the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God for the joy set before him he endured. And as you read this week, look at all the things he endured for you, for the joy that was set before him, right? Agony in the garden. He endured it. He received a kiss from Judas of betrayal, right? He could have called down Angel armies, and yet he endured. He endured the mocking cry of rulers and their soldiers. He endured the mocking chants of a crowd yelling, crucify him, crucify him, for the joy that was set before him. And knowing full well the variety of sins just represented in this room, he endured. It's by his stripes we're healed. And it's by his wounds that we would find healing. And so linger with Jesus deeply this week so that you can just see how much he has a heart for both you and me. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at CityBridgeCC. See you next time.